0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz
1: every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
2: Sunday, April 17th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. Democrats could make Iowa and New Hampshire get in line for caucuses and primaries.
3: Two of the more homogenous states racially, the whitest states, if you will, in the country.
0: I'm Evan Brown. Presidential candidates debating on live TV has for decades been a tradition every four years as we ready ourselves to pick a leader. But now the Republicans say they won't participate if the same people are running them.
4: The chairwoman uh, engaged early on with the commission on presidential debates on behalf of the American people.
2: This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington.
1: And don't forget to use promo code DUFFY10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today.
2: Politics and eggs at St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, flipping pork chops at the Iowa State Fair. These are must-dos for pretty much anyone who aspires to be president of the United States or at least compete in the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary. But those rites of political passage could be a relic starting in 2024 for Democrats. This week, the Democratic National Committee approved a resolution that could shuffle the early state sweepstakes and scrap Iowa and New Hampshire as the first stops on the nominating calendar. Instead, the resolution calls on states to apply for early contest status, make the case for holding a caucus or primary before Super Tuesday in early March. In other states have said they are better first stops for candidates more diverse larger a better reflection of voters a nominee would ultimately need to win in a national election but what about tradition iowa and new hampshire have gone first and second since 1972 voters there are very protective of that status and their roles in helping america pick presidents Josh crosshour is the against the grain columnist at National Journal and a Fox News radio political analyst. He shares his reporting on why Democrats could make a big change to the primary schedule.
3: It's a confluence of factors that is leading to the very strong possibility we could see a totally different nominating calendar for the presidency in 2024, at least for the Democrats. The biggest reason, Jared, is the worry that's been a concern for many, many years among Democrats that iowa and new hampshire two of the more homogenous states racially the whitest states if you will in the country uh, are not representative of the 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 growing diversity within the democratic electorate and even though you've got nevada you've got south carolina in in that first four box it's not enough and there needs to be more diversity needs to be more constituencies represented mm-hmm. in these early primary states the, the other big factor as and we were there in des moines in 2020 jared <laughs> uh, announcing the caucuses that we didn't have much to announce because the democratic party messed
2: it up so badly in the. i was on an Iowa. airplane back to dc before we had results <laughs>
3: i mean it was a total <laughs> total Catastrophe. It, right. it raised questions about the Democratic Party's competence. They relied on right. a lot of Iowa Democratic officials to get things right. The world was watching, and it was an embarrassment. <laughs> right. And it frankly, well, Jared led to led to a lot of the, these concerns about voter integrity, voter uh, these voting fights. I mm-hmm. mean, that started in uh, Iowa was a big That's reason right. for that. The Democrats couldn't get their own process uh, set well, straight.
2: Well, let's go back to that first point you made about sort of trying to, to reach a more diverse electorate here as, as Democrats try and nominate a, a president. Um, because there there is a concern that if you can win in Iowa, you can win in New Hampshire. That doesn't necessarily mean you can win a national election. I mean, look at the results in 2020. I mean, what did Biden came in, what, fourth and third, third and fifth? I don't remember exactly, but he didn't finish near the front. Um, and it didn't matter, right? because once that 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 primary process moved to you know, larger populations, more you know economically diverse and racially diverse, um, that's when he he really sewed it up. and And that's been true of of some Republican nominees as well.
3: yeah. Um, it's interesting how the good parts of having Iowa and New Hampshire lead, lead off have been overwhelmed by all the all the all the criticism. I mean the the real reason you have states like Iowa and New Hampshire at the beginning of the process is that they are small states in New Hampshire in particular. You you can drive across New Hampshire in an hour, Retail two hours. Retail politics, that's you right. You do the town halls in Iowa and New Hampshire. People have a 30-, 40-year history of caring about the election, of showing up, of vetting all these presidential candidates in a way that, frankly, that wouldn't be possible in a lot of other states. What you would see is if you had Florida or Michigan in, in, in the early stages mm-hmm. would be a, a TV war where, you, where the wealthiest candidates would spend the most money and, and have the advantage. So I, I think, you know, the law of unintended consequences could play very heavily on Democrats' minds. Yes, Iowa and New Hampshire are not representative, or especially Iowa, may not be representative of where the Democratic Party is, is going these days. Yes, they're much less racially diverse than other states, but there aren't a whole lot of small states that have a history of really doing the vetting and really doing the scrutinizing of, of candidates, and it really help some of the underdog candidates, candidates that don't have money but have a good message. that can re- Look, Barack Obama, he, I don't think Barack, Barack Obama would be president of the United States if it wasn't for the Iowa caucuses proving that he could win white voters in the Midwest if if you get rid of Iowa you're not gonna have that vetting system anymore
2: so I guess part of this is kind of academic at this point right because right now there would not be a belief that there's gonna be much of a contested 2024 Democratic primary
3: yeah, well, <laughs> you're you're right, Jared. That all this is sort of. It's interesting that we're having this conversation, and the DNC's having right. this
2: conversation. Well, I mean, the DNC's uh, having this conversation because both parties are kind of just working through sort of you know how do we want to do this moving forward. And I get that. Yes. Well, but if there's not a contested, if there's not a contested primary for Democrats in 2024, some of the problems that are trying to be solved here aren't really going to be tested.
3: Well, don't underestimate the, the urgency of this, reflecting on the possibility that, Biden, that there's expectation that Biden may not run for, for another term. And you could have a wide open Democratic field in 2024, um, though they wouldn't say that publicly. You wouldn't see the White House even mm-hmm. giving a nod to that possibility. But, you know, more and more Democrats I talk to think that uh, Biden is, is – is, is- Good chance he's not going to be on the ballot in 2024 so there is some urgency here you're right it would be taking place looking ahead to the future no matter what but uh, yeah, i think this could have some some serious implications even on the 2024 uh, ballot in the primaries i
2: mean the other thing that could happen is iowa and new hampshire could tell the dnc to pound sand they're in charge of when they set their primaries the problem is the dnc would then have leverage to sanction you know candidates or strip delegates right we saw then we see that in 2008 when that's like florida a bunch of states as i recall in 2008 like all 50 states were like gunning to be first and and the dnc basically had to say whoa 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 here's what happens if you hold your contest before super tuesday
3: so 2008 is a great counterexample, and yet what the DNC did is the opposite of what they're trying to do now. Back back in 2008, if oh, they're you Oh, they were trying to protect Iowa they, and New Hampshire. They were That's protecting right. Iowa and New Hampshire. That's they punished Florida for moving up—they uh, punished Michigan for moving up uh, their primary date. And, and even then, it wasn't ahead of Iowa and New Hampshire. It was just in an early window. So now they want to reward the, the, those states, which, by the way, again, don't have a well, long Well, we'll see. They have to apply have to do
2: this, right? This is like an open application. Tell us why you should go first.
3: Correct. We're, we're, we don't have any— decision made yet but the momentum as as you've been noting jared you've been reporting the momentum is in a move that would not give iowa and new hampshire that favored status that we've seen so often
2: now the republican party seems to be moving in the opposite direction and trying to protect iowa and new hampshire for going first so if that's the way that it moves forward we could have totally different calendars for the republicans and democrats how i guess in the it's hard to sort of think about this like before the tv age right but like is that that unusual that that parties kind of just go their own way when it comes to which states are going to go win
3: it, it is pretty unusual historically you know there, there are times when you have a sitting president and they're not competing in, in in Iowa, New Hampshire, or in 1992, right. Bill Clinton ceded Iowa to Tom Harkin, who was the senator from Iowa right. at the time. Whereas Republicans had a much more spirited caucus
2: in, in that. But year. they were the so, same day. My point is, we could have like right, right Democrats in Iowa like after Super Tuesday, and Republicans in Iowa like Super Bowl Sunday.
3: That's right. It it, it would be pretty unusual, if not unprecedented, that you'd have Iowa. <laughs> an Iowa caucus for the Republicans and maybe a Michigan caucus for the Democrats. And I don't think that's good for Democrat. I mean, especially in Iowa and New Hampshire. Iowa... Is not looking like a swing state as much as it was anymore, but there's yeah. still three of the four House races in Iowa are very competitive, very contested. The Senate race is, is, is Chuck Grassley's up. It was seen as a possible competitive race at one point. Not not so much anymore. But the more Democrats turn away from a rural, symbolic rural battleground and, and, and say, we're not going to even compete here in our nomination process, New Hampshire is a Democratic leaning state that Republicans are pretty confident they can win uh, mm-hmm. in, in both the Senate level level in the house level in in 2022 just because of the political environment right now so to totally say we're not gonna put give give these two states favored status not just could have implications for for presidential nomination processes but it could have a make it harder for Democrats to win those states uh, in general elections going
2: forward. There's one more element to this that I'm curious about, and that is sort of turning away. And maybe both parties have this concern, sort of turning away from a caucus over a primary. They are very different. If anybody has attended a caucus, particularly in Iowa, it is a unique way of (laughs) selecting a nominee. Right. You get multiple votes. People are eliminated. There's, you know, brownies handed out for votes. There's <laughs> favors handed out once your candidate is eliminated. It's a very folksy kind of town hall way. Um, but it's complicated. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of commitment. Um, we've seen the process in counting can get uh, sort of, Confusing is that part of underlying this too? Like maybe caucuses aren't the best way to decide how delegates are going to be doled out.
3: It's a lot of fun to go to a caucus. It, <laughs> it, it is. really is. It, it is. really is the heart of democracy, and if it's done right, and
2: Iowa's not the be. only one that does right. Uh, Nevada does a uh, a caucus. There there are other states that do them.
3: And I'll be honest with you, I, I like the Iowa caucuses better than the other one. I mean, the Iowa you know does tend to be more representative of its party electorate
2: than some of these other states so um, it's a scene though I mean and you have to be dedicated it's like an I don't know it's not an all-day affair but it's yeah. it's, it's not like, showing up pulling a lever and going home
3: yeah it's like you're there sp- much of the night it's like going to Florida to watch some spring training games and and watching out of the or to make a sport. You know, to, it's like watching democracy in action. And I I have a lot of problems with caucuses in other states where they really are very low turnout affairs dominated yeah. by by very activist members. Right. You do see that in Iowa too, but you actually have a larger participation and and, and an engagement that is really you know again democracy at, at its finest one of the problems though the caucus system is having in iowa is that democrats are saying we need a lot if, if you're working on tuesday night and you can't get to like that that's discriminatory you that that is not 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 yeah. not I not not in, in the spirit of our democracy you and can't that,
2: really have like early voting in a caucus. you can't have right? you no, know,
3: you don't have early voting have, so democrats are, are now saying nationally that if you don't have early voting it, it, it's voter suppression if you don't allow people to vote on the same, if, if you force people to actually go to a voting site and not have any other opportunity to cast their ballot, that's voter suppression. So the caucus system, you, you can't do any of that stuff, and it's its become sort of an intellectual problem for Democrats because they, they've championed the caucus system for, for many years, but now it runs against some of their new rhetoric about voting rights, voting access, that that makes it a little uncomfortable for, for, for party leaders to be advocating so forcefully.
2: What, do you see this sort of... Ending with Iowa and New Hampshire losing that that sort of favored status, do you see this maybe in a a rotational kind of of sense? Like, you know, every four years we'll sort of reevaluate and and maybe states take turns in going first. What what sort of seems to be that you're hearing from Democrats who are part of this process that they're leaning towards?
3: I think you'll see some sort of compromise where Mm – I, I, would, I would expect iowa and new hampshire to maybe lose that window where, where there's nothing else going on in, in, the, in that several week period you may have other states in addition to south carolina and nevada moving up like we saw in 2008 except without those dnc penalties that we saw that year um but but look it, it, they've opened up a can of worms and by essentially punishing iowa uh to, you know new hampshire as well uh the, you know, the, you could say that there are good things about switching the system. We, we've went over, we've gone over them, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the the domination process is going to become more nationalized. It's not going to
2: look the same as it's been in the past. Is the real loser of this going to be the butter cow?
3: <laughs> the, the, I love the, Des Mo- the Iowa State Fair. I've <laughs> I've, I've been a, a fan, a, defa- a, a attendee a at the State Fair every 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 presidential year. The first look, time. I, I,
2: the Faust said, "The first time I felt like a real like I I, I was a national reporter was my first time chasing <laughs> candidates, uh, down the midway there, at the uh, the Iowa State Fair." Yeah, in 2000, go into that pers- soapbox. It's a lot of fun.
3: When when I was a young reporter in 2008, I got a personal invitation from uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar saying, "You got to got to go to the she she, she got to go to the she's butter, not wrong. <laughs> but she she knows she knows the Midwest. She knows." Yeah these state fairs it is a must i mean there's so many things in iowa that are unique to the state that that are just parts of the presidential nominating process that
2: is definitely part of the retail politics of it but listen other states have traditions too and we'll may learn to embrace those as well uh josh appreciate the time as always we'll talk soon
5: That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services.
0: Publicized debates are a staple of the American democratic process. Perhaps the most storied of them were the Lincoln-Douglas debates of 1858 in Illinois between Democratic Senator Stephen A. Douglas and Republican challenger Abraham Lincoln. The pair toured the state, putting on a show and arguing under agreed rules. Of course, no radio or television back then. In 1960, with electronic mass media still a new toy... Debates were held between two candidates for the U.S. presidency, then Vice President Richard Nixon, the Republican, and his Democratic opponent, John F. Kennedy. For the first time, many Americans saw their choices of leaders, plead their cases, and challenge each other. And since then, the League of Women Voters, and then the Commission on Presidential Debates, a bipartisan effort, has produced debates between candidates for president and vice president. Over the years, the topics grew more condensed, the questions fired more rapidly, and the answers much shorter. Still, there was time to be witty. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit, for political purposes,
5: my opponent's youth and inexperience.
0: And throw the occasional Barbie takedown.
5: Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy.
2: But
0: last time in 2020, it all seemed to devolve.
2: Vote now. Are going to pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, wouldn't you answer that Because question? You the question is, the question is, the the radical, radical is, left. Will you Who shut is up, your, man? Listen?
0: Former President Donald Trump and Republicans accused the commission of bias and favoring candidate Joe Biden, the Democrat. There were questions of the chosen moderator's objectivity. Now the Republican Party is pulling out of the debate commission altogether.
4: I think it's really important for your audience to remember.
0: Paris Denard is the national spokesman for the Republican National Committee. He's a former official in both the Trump and Bush 43 White Houses.
4: That. This is something that the RNC, under the leadership of Ronald McDaniel, took up not for just for the RNC, and quite frankly, not just for uh, the future Republican nominee for president of the United States. The reason why uh, the chairwoman uh, engaged early on with the Commission on Presidential Debates was on behalf of the American people. And I say that because when Americans were tuning in to watch the presidential debates all across the nation, you know, we have to step back real just briefly and, and and look at this from a different perspective. Those of us who live and work and breathe in Washington, D.C., inside the beltway and just consume politics, we think this is all that everybody does in the country. You know, we think that they just watch the news and consume uh uh, newspaper articles and are on Twitter trying to find out what's the latest palace intrigue at the White House, at the committees, and all this stuff with the different candidates. But that's not reality. Reality is Americans are working. They were, they're dealing with their families. They are traveling. They are living their lives, trying to put food on the table and and save for the future and and, and their children to go to college and take their children to sports and and do the things that they need to do to survive. And so it's not a, up until these presidential debates happen after the nomination process is over that the American people really focus in and really tune in and dial in as to who's running, why they're running, what are they saying, what are they talking about? And so for us, understanding that, the chairwoman said last year, we've got to talk to the Commission on presidential debates to make sure that they understand the sentiments of the American people, point one, but point two understand that we have to have a fair and balanced perspective debate for both candidates for president. And so the chairwoman laid out in a letter some reasonable recommendations to make it balanced, to make it unbiased, to make it fair to both candidates moving forward. And The onus was on the commission for the presidential debates to either work with the RNC to to adapt uh, to adopt some of these changes and recommendations or have a conversation or dialogue to figure out if there's a middle ground or do what they ended up doing and saying, no, thanks, pound sand. We're going to do what we're going to do, do it how we're going to do it. No matter how it impacts the voters, no matter how it impacts future candidates, and that's the unfortunate situation that the Commission on Presidential Debates decided to put the American people in.
0: Before the the RNC and and the chairwoman and and the the rest of the party structure got to this point where they they wrote this letter, um, what was the uh, you know how, how was the sentiment following those debates? Did did it feel that that uh, the former president was treated unfairly? Tell me how those conversations must have gone, because you don't get to the point of saying we're pulling out of this, which is essentially now tradition that we have these debates. uh, You don't pull out from them without having some some real uh, emotional thoughts about this.
4: Yeah, I think that when you watch the presidential debates and understood some of the background of things that were happening, you know, the commission on presidential debates waited until 26 states had already begun to do early voting before hosting the first presidential debate and so there were conversations saying hey let's move up let's have a debate beforehand no they were on you know unwilling to to change unwilling to make these changes both the, the the democrat uh side you know they said we've already agreed to these things and we're not going to make any changes and remember this is also during the time of you know with COVID 19 and so there were things where there were constantly there were changes being made and adjustments. And in some instances, they didn't even, they, they made these unilateral changes to previously, and remember, previously agreed upon debate formats and, and, and conditions without even notifying, you know, the Republican side. You know, they were gonna we're gonna cancel the debate, or we're gonna do it in this format. You know, we're gonna have these type of uh barriers and and things up. And so you know that wasn't fair. And then you, we found out that one of the moderators in a 2020 debate uh, had once worked for Joe Biden. I don't know how the American people can say that the moderator is unbiased, doesn't have any type of familiarity or leaning leaning towards one candidate or the other, when one had one moderator had actually gone out of his way to apply, to support publicly and privately a candidate enough to want to work for them. And and so we, we looked at these, these things and said, you know, this doesn't seem to, to be right. We had people on the debate commission openly saying disparaging things about, you know, the Republican nominee at the time, who was obviously President Donald Trump. How can you sow impartiality as a commission that's supposed to be nonpartisan, that's supposed to be unbiased when your board members are out there in social media and interviews saying things that are disparaging or or showing that they do not like one candidate over the other? And so what the RNC's chairwoman said was, let's get ahead of this. Let's start this process now civilly, respectfully and a letter to the commission saying, "Here are some things that we observed. We don't think that they were right. And obviously the, the our nominee at the time, President Trump expressed his concerns and, and with the, the way some of the debates were handled and the, and the campaigns did as well, and those viewers on the Republican side. And so the thought was, if we have the conversation now, while the temperature is lowered, while we don't have a nominee, well before all of this process has even started so that we could have it as a fair process for whomever he or she might be in the future as a Republican nominee, it would be better for us to do it and hopefully get to a conclusion.
0: But that is not what the Commission on President presidential debates decided to do so the the committee meaning the rnc sent this letter was there even a response from the commission on the debates or or were they did they not even reply how did how did that uh play out
4: yeah there were a series of letters actually okay uh there there were back and forth responses and then even there was an invitation from the chairwoman to to meet with uh, some of the the leadership of the debate commission which i believe happened uh and we were optimistic that they would, you know, w- want to enact some of these changes. And then ultimately, after I think it could have been close to three or four exchanges of letters back and forth, or I would say communications, formal communications back and forth. You know, the the the, the debate commission even sent one letter that was really harshly uh, written, uh, attacking the chairwoman about a. An interview that she gave, but not about the substance of what we wanted to have happen, and they essentially said they're unwilling to make any changes. Now we told them that we were going to go to uh, the one sixty eight, and I, I, I the one sixty eight. Let me explain that. Yeah, please do. Are the 100, yeah? There's the the RNC, the Republican National Committee, is made up of one hundred and sixty eight members, which are our duly elected state chairmen national committee men and national committee women they make up the, the 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 rnc what we call it like the governing body and they have different committees and subcommittees that make recommendations and approvals resolutions and you know there's a committee that is a subcommittee that's working on the the future sites for our uh nominating conventions uh we're down to two cities and so these individuals we call the 168 came together in a meeting and said we're going to put together a resolution and we told the commission we're going to do this resolution we're we're proposing to do this resolution we don't know how it's going to be accepted by the by the committee but we're letting you know that the that we're that the committee wants to go into the direction of saying if you are unwilling to make these concessions these reasonable changes amendments to the way you all conduct yourselves having a a a criteria for selecting moderators, having some term limits on the board, having some safeguards to make sure that your board members are not saying disparaging things about either candidate, and obviously some of the things we addressed earlier about the timing of the debates and the changes that were made to the debates. um, We are looking to pull out of your debate system, and we gave them that ultimatum. They still did not want to make the changes. The RNC met uh, several months ago and adopted this resolution and said we want to do it. And then it moved to go to the next meeting uh, where it would be brought up uh, formally. And in in Memphis uh, this week uh, at, at our meeting, the RNC unanimously voted to withdraw from the Commission on Presidential Debates.
0: What is what ultimately? What kind of debate really would the uh, would the RNC like to see happen? I mean, are are there different ways of doing this? I mean, we we're sort of used to ask a question, you get like a very short time to respond, uh, and then maybe there are there are uh, rebuttals, but not really. Uh, we're we're such a far ways away from anything that would be you know lincoln douglas style where you have (laughs) you know 10 minutes or even longer or even rather nixon kennedy where they went on for minutes at a time um so uh, where they were perhaps maybe more substantive if not uh, but maybe not so flashy uh what would the rnc like to see happen with a future debate style wise
4: so uh, it is very important for your audience to know one thing if they take away from this interview and it is that The RNC, Chairwoman McDaniel, uh, and the whole 168 governing body, we want to have debates. We want to make sure that the debate process is fair and unbiased. But this action does not mean that we do not want to have debates or do not want our future candidate to engage in debates. We want the future candidate to be at at a playing field that is unbiased and that is fair for both the Republican nominee and the Democrat nominee, because this pendulum swings both ways and for the American people. And so what this says is that we are going to encourage our future nominee not to participate because the RNC will not sanction or support participation in a debate that is hosted by the Commission on Presidential Debates. And so we hope that we can get to a new format with and we have plenty of time to work with uh different networks and different opportunities uh, to figure out a way to have our own debate. And I hope the Democrats will join us in having these debates because the way it will be formulated would to be to ensure that the things that we saw from the Commissioner of Presidential debates that were unbiased and unfair and just not right would be r- remedied and so we would hope that the DNC and the future Democrat nominee campaign would join us in this new format, which we are going to work to establish. But the goal is to have presidential debates, but in a way that is respectful, unbiased and fair.
0: Paris Denard, national spokesperson for the Republican National Committee. Thank you so much for being with us on the Fox News Rundown.
2: That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, another week away for Congress, but lawmakers are starting to plot their midterm strategies. We'll look at the polls and the messages heading into the summer campaign. And, of course, continue to follow the latest in Ukraine. And them, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For our entire team here at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington